Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. We are so hung up on share the gospel, and that's fantastic. But it, you know, the, the Great Commission is a process where we leave them to faith, baptize them, and teach them to start a group that becomes a church. And when you see that happening generationally, then you see how the gospel can go into every people's segment and result in multiplying churches, so it becomes doable. Today we're going to hear from Mike Shipman, a practitioner from somewhere in Southeast Asia, who's seeing multiplying movements of disciples and churches amongst Muslim background believers. I began by asking Mike how he got started. Steve, it was somewhat of a long journey. You know, we had a strong call to full-time ministry, and we did traditional kind of ministry work, first of all, in the States, and we've been now in our current ministry assignment overseas for 17 years. So the first half of that time was in seminary work and traditional church work. However, the Lord began opening our eyes to the great promises He made in the upper room about the greater works, you know, dramatic promises about answered prayer and and just the fulfillment of the Great Commission and opened our heart to church planning movement type ministry. So in early 2005, we made the shift and engaged to uh, you know, unreached people group ministry. We began focusing on a people group of, well, several million Muslims in Asia. So that's that was how we got to this kind of a ministry, Steve. And so you moved out of the, the classroom in, into the field. Right. We... We talk about a transition from pulpit training to straw mat training, and that has been huge for us. Okay, and, and um, how has that worked unfold? What, what, what have you learned as, uh, as you've pursued it? You know, early on, the transitions were difficult. We had an idea of where we wanted to go, and the Lord took us through this time of humbling ourselves as well as just learning about the pure simplicity of the Great Commission. And so when we got started, we kind of knew where we wanted to go. And so early on, we, even though we were seeing some, some great things happen and several hundred, hundred people coming to faith, you know, we didn't quite have some things, well, I won't say right, but they weren't quite there. And so we, we got off to a slower start than perhaps we should have. But now after these uh, well, 10 years of, of ministry, I think we can see the Great Commission clearly, and it's changed everything. All right. So how how has your understanding of the Great Commission changed or, or become clearer? Okay, this is the way we understand the Great Commission. Now, we talk a lot of you know, almost anything that we do as churches and believers is good. We say we're doing the Great Commission as long as we're sharing the gospel. But the Great Commission is a process to disciple the whole world. We teach it this way, Steve. One, two, Three, obey the Great Commission. There's one core command in the Great Commission. Disciple all the ethnic groups. That's more complicated than it sounds because an ethnic group is made up of its segments. There are all kinds of different kinds of people within one ethnic group. And to disciple a whole ethnic group, every segment has to hear the gospel. And should they respond, it should result in multiplying churches among that segment that multiply to other segments. So there's one core command, two assurances. 
Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and in earth, therefore you go. If he has the authority, why doesn't he go? Because he said us. Every believer has the full authority of Jesus to obey the entire Great Commission. And the proof's in the Great Commission itself. Now, the Great Commission is actually a, a packet or a combination where everyone who obeys it does three tasks. They go and share the gospel. They baptize those who come to faith. And they teach them to obey all the commands of Christ. And every, every believer has the full authority to obey the entire Great Commission. So there are two assurances. First of all, the authority. And second, the accompaniment of Jesus. He said, I'll be with you always. In fact, he's in us by the Holy Spirit. One core command, two assurances to accomplish three tasks. Going means we share the gospel during the first meeting, just like they did in Acts. If people are open, we study together. When they come to faith, we baptize them. We go, we baptize, and we teach them to obey all of Christ's commands. How many of Christ's commands should every believer obey? Well, all of them. Mm -hmm. When? Well, immediately or as soon as they know what the commands are. And which one first in sequence? The Great Commission itself. Because if people obey the Great Commission, they will be baptized and they will be trained to go. They'll go, first of all, probably to their segment. There's the key. They'll go to their segment with the gospel. When people come to faith, they will baptize them and teach them to form a group that becomes a church. And when they reach anyone outside of their immediate community, that person goes to their segment. And so we see how with this approach, every segment is engaged with the gospel. New believers are baptized and trained to become groups groups that become churches. And so with this approach, and actually only with this approach, can every people segment in every people group be, be discipled according to the Great Commission. So that's our simple understanding, Steve. And Mike, how did that make a difference in the field? With, with that understanding, what did it look like as you and the workers around you pursued it? Here's what it changed. It changed the thinking that we are the priest to really realizing that every believer is a priest. And so instead of having believer come, believers come to us and gather around us and we began a church, and at every generation having this come mission mentality, it turned it into a go mission. So now we train the new believer, we send them, they gather people, to become churches in their area instead of us doing it. And so it allowed for multiplication. We had some hindrances early on because, once again, we didn't know exactly where we wanted to go. But in 2009, we had a breakthrough year where we resolved baptismal issues based on the Great Commission. So new believers were now being immediately baptized, just like they were in Acts, and trained to be 100% priests. So now multiplication could actually take it, take place. And where this has happened at every generation, if, the, if, if believers obey the Great Commission, they go and take the gospel to the next generation, resulting in multiplying groups. We're now planting at the 14th generation, and we're generation zero, Steve. All the outside workers are generation zero. And now, so, Mike, what do you mean by the 14th generation and the zero generation? Okay. So we are outside workers. We don't have a generation of new believers yet, so we'll just call ourselves Generation Zero. 
when we, when we, it could be us or anybody we've trained, Christian background people, go to a new area and lead believers to faith, those are now first-generation believers. And if they form churches or groups, those are first-generation groups and churches. And should anyone from those groups and churches reach a believer who then starts a group or a church at their house, now we're at the second generation. And so now, as I said, we're, we're, we're seeing groups planted at the 14th generation, meaning that groups that are becoming churches have, tra- have traveled now 14 generations deep and, hey, very broadly as well. We've seen several thousand groups and churches planted mostly in the past six years. And of these groups, far more than a third now are at least four generations from the group that planted them. Okay. And just to flesh it out for us, can you think of um, just a story of, of uh, someone you've seen come to faith and then quickly to be mobilized to reach, you know, their friends and family and, and to begin to see multiplication? What, what did that look like? Okay, thank you. We, we've seen numerous examples, even resulting in uh, splinter church planting movements among some of our most radical people groups. One example, a young man in his mid-20s um, sensed a call to do this kind of work, apostolic work, and uh, a good friend of mine mentored him with the plan that we teach. And the basic, the basic requirement was, if you obey all the commands of Scripture, I'll mentor you. And so he he agreed. So he himself was biblically baptized, and then he began sharing the gospel. For four months, no one came to faith, but then he led two or three people to faith, and very quickly thereafter, led a man to faith whom he baptized, and he taught that man to obey the Great Commission. That person started a group becoming a church in his house. He reached and baptized three others. Those three others started groups that became uh, were on their way to becoming churches in their homes, and they were all given the entire Great Commission. And so then the people they reached would plant groups that became churches in their homes. And after about a two-and-a-half to three-year period, 1,000 believers had been baptized. And uh, if I remember correctly, 40, 40 groups and churches had formed by that time. And so that, that's one example that, that we know of where a, a new church planting movement was started doing this very similar thing that we're doing. And I remember personally being at the training event where a man came and he appeared that he was still wet. Actually, he was baptized the night before, like late, like after midnight the night before. And he had come in, was baptized and being prepared to, to start groups that become churches. He succeeded and now there are numerous you know, groups and churches in his networks that once again are, are multiplying past the fourth generation. So. We've seen this happen, not always exactly by the plan, but those are a couple of examples that have happened very, very closely to the plan. And Mike, what what has the role of the uh, either someone like yourself or or a, a local believer who's the outsider sort of, you know, the, obviously there's a role of training or I assume right. coaching and equipping. What what are you doing while while this is happening? Like most roles in the movement, our ministry has developed. What we see happening is we have to make transitions in our leadership style as we go along. Early on, you know, we have the vision. 
So we know what God's calling us to do. Now we're praying and God gives us partners. And so we train and bring our partners on vision with a very simple, reducible church planning plan. And we call it our plan, Greater Works Guide. And some people refer to it as Big One because we draw it on a, on a big number one. But mm-hmm. so we have communicated that to our early partners. I have a ministry partner, a local man. So early on, it was just he, I, and, and our families. So I brought him on board with vision. And as we were trying to, we had a reproducible plan, but we didn't have believers yet. So we began struggling with how are we going to share the gospel? We were using the Quran as a bridge, and that wasn't effective for us. We had the idea that we must share a series of stories before we share the gospel, but also we weren't sharing the gospel much, and we didn't have believers. And so he and I decided that you know, we would share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Very simple gospel presentation in a relational way to see who's open to the gospel. And so when we got our first believers using this approach, we began working our discipleship plan. At that point, of course, my national partner became the primary field worker. So he was living in close proximity to those who were coming to, who were coming to faith. I lived outside, and so... I would continually meet with him, prepare him, and I myself would go then to a different area among the same people group, far away from where he was, and try to lead others to faith. And so we're both doing evangelism up front, as are all the new believers. But he's the primary trainer at that point. So I continue to train him and equip him, and he equips and trains the new leaders of the movement. And so my role has developed as the plan has unfolded, dealing a lot with with uh, you know keeping the vision in front of our national partners and then developing simple materials along with my national partner that would help them to to get where they needed to go. So I've gone from the transition of being an evangelist to being an evangelist trainer and then decreasing in evangelism still doing a significant number a significant amount of evangelism and and with time I have even decreased in my hands-on training within the movement, although early on I did a significant amount of that, to now being more of a big-picture coach. But, of course, we're still sharing the gospel and still doing uh, different kinds of trainings primarily. But perhaps my most essential role has been has been training, casting vision, and you know, equipping our partners and sending, sending them out while we also are doing the same thing. But, of course, of course they're more effective than us. Yes. And Mike, when we've talked before, I know um, this coming together of the, the, the understanding of the Great Commission, of priesthood, and then the, the, the thing that that's contributed to is this whole idea you talk about of, of ownership. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that, that um, and ownership and the clarity, not just of the distant goal, but the clarity right. in people's minds of what they need to do. Okay, thanks, Steve. That is such an important question. Based on our understanding of the Great Commission earlier, here's the conclusion. Every believer is a priest who does every one of three tasks to disciple and church every kind of people in all people groups. So when we teach them to obey all the commands of Christ, beginning with the Great Commission, everything that applies to us applies immediately to them. 
And so in the Great Commission, when Jesus said, I will be with you always, he's reminding the disciples of the promise he made in the upper room, I will be in you. And so we as Protestants believe in the priesthood of every believer. We just rarely practice it fully. But when we train someone and equip them to do the Great Commission, we're saying you're a partner priest, a 100% priest, and everything that I'm doing, I'm training you also to do. So in a movement, what we're doing in every generation is reaching and training our partner priests, 100% priests. And that is absolutely essential, and here are a few reasons why. Well, this is what we see in Acts. The movements in Acts were immediately indigenous. There was never a time when the outsider owned the movement. They immediately handed off the movement to the new believers, and then they would stand beside them for a while, equipping and sending, and then they would back off and try to come back in, write letters to maintain contact. But the new believers were equal partners from, from the very early, very, very early moments when the gospel came to them. And here's why that's so essential. First of all, as we said earlier, based on the Great Commission, this way, the gospel, baptism, and churching can go into every people's segment, not just the segment where the outsider happens to be at that time. Hmm. And it also gives every new believer an opportunity to be baptized. They're commanded to be baptized, and unless the person who goes is prepared to baptize them, the new believer can't obey the command of Christ to be baptized. And once again, we're teaching them to obey all the commands. And that is, if we, if we obey the entire Great Commission. Another reason is related to, is related to, we're talking about ownership here and local ownership. If the outsider comes in, reaches and baptizes new believers and teaches them to start groups that become churches, as long as they're 100%, 100% priests, they can be churches instead of groups. That way they can obey all the commands of Christ without somebody coming from the outside to help. And of course, God's plan was churches, not groups. So, for instance, here's what would happen if the new believer were not to treat, I'm sorry, if the new believers weren't treated as 100% priests, here's what would happen. So the outsider would come in, reach, baptize, and teach. Then the outsider would leave. The new believers could only... They could share the gospel, but they couldn't baptize the new believers, and perhaps they couldn't do the Lord's Supper. So actually, they can't, they can't be the church from that point on. They can only be groups because they can't obey all of Christ's commands. But of course, what we see in Acts is churches developing, new believers immediately obeying all the commands of Christ. I can't think of any commands that had to be delayed or that they would have to wait for someone to come in from the outside so they could obey that command. It also affects the new believer's ability to obey the whole Great Commission. You see, if they can go, but if they can't baptize, or perhaps they can't teach others to obey, they can only share the gospel in new areas. They can't go baptize and teach. And so the Great Commission can't expand either through the new believers unless the outsider's there. But what we see is churches like the Thessalonian church and the Ephesian church and the others carrying on the Great Commission immediately into new areas and being praised for it. So that's why it's essential, really, to have 100% priesthood and that immediate, immediately indigenous. 
that makes the local people, the people, the owners of the vision, and they can do the whole thing. Now, we, we continue to teach, equip, strengthen, and encourage are the two key biblical words in Acts. But the doers from day one of the local believers, we're finding that immediate ownership is one of the keys to, to healthy, healthy church planning that spreads to every segment. And some people will listen in, to this and say, yes, but this is going to be, I, I, I've heard it'll be, what is it, a mile wide and, and half an inch deep. So you, you, the thing's expanding rapidly and uh, you'll pay for it down, down the road with um, lack of, of depth and, and quality. Interesting, right. We have, we have three core values with the, with the movements we're seeing. And we're seeing God do amazing work in sanctifying new believers. Anyway, so the three core values are lead with the gospel. The most important thing people need to hear, and in Acts they heard it today, was that Christ died for our sins, was raised from the dead. And if they, through repentance, will surrender themselves to Jesus, their sins are forgiven. So we don't, we don't delay that message. That's the first thing we talk about when we meet with people during the first meeting. And we share the gospel. Once again, we call that any three. So we lead with the gospel. Second, we have a clear path for groups to become churches. If we just if we just simply go and share the gospel and put people in groups, but they don't have clear guidance on how to obey the commands of Christ, we're not we're not quite sure where that where they will go. But in Acts in the New Testament with the epistles, we see you know the apostles giving clear guidance for these new believers to obey the commands of Christ. And so we have to have this clear path, not just to get to group, but so that groups become churches and an on, ongoing way to train to train leaders so that the movement both goes into new areas and grows deeper at the same time. We've had significant breakthroughs in the past several years on how to do indigenous leadership training. But here's what I realized, Steve, that has been startling to me, once again, coming from my uh, background in traditional church and in seminary, the worst thing, well, it probably not be worst things, but one of the worst things that we can do is to come in and do the works for them. I used to think they'll be a lot better off if I come in and their, and do the primary, I mean, the primary teacher in the groups, you know, and, and the primary leader of the group. But what we find so often, we've seen this time after time, if the outsider leads the group, if the outsider has to lead, the group falls apart. And so the people haven't, they haven't taken deep roots. They're simply following the lead of the leader. And that, that has not, it hasn't resulted in healthy church. But once again, when we see the pattern of Acts, it's a process that begins with a simple gospel. Groups form that uh, very quickly obey all the commands of Christ and become churches. And then this ongoing effort to disciple the leaders. I love the story of an 80-year-old-plus 80, 80 generation, I'm sorry, he's a fourth-generation believer. A case study was done a few years ago with a very simple question, but very important question. Who is Jesus? Here's what he said, Steve. He said, I'm sorry, I have no education. And that's the true answer. I have no education, but Jesus is the Lord God. He's in the Father, and the Father's in Him. But they're not two, and they're not three. They're one. 
I myself, early in the movement, struggled. Lord, the gospel is moving so fast, and we can't get to all these areas. And the Lord quickly reminded me that he's both the Savior and the sanctifier. And when I heard answers like these, I wept Mm. just to see what God is doing through the power of his word in the lives of new believers. They're 100% priests, but then there's this ongoing system to keep them in the word and guide them to complete maturity in Christ, Steve. And so it's I, I'm hearing three elements. One one is you you is the the role of the believers as they gather round the word to learn it and to obey it uh-huh. with the Holy Spirit. So you've got right. the word, the spirit, and then you have um, leadership, either someone like yourself or or national leaders who are who are stepping up who move amongst these churches and and provide input and um, and equipping and correction when needed. Right. And, you know, most people who are doing church planning movement type work are familiar with the process model, assist, watch, and leave. The key is to almost immediately become the assistant As the assistant, you can give what is needed, but they're the primary doers. It changes everything. We model once or twice and then encourage them. God's calling them to do it. And we come alongside. Uh, We say that sometimes from a distance, but we're still coming alongside them and equipping them. We have ongoing input, but they're the primary doers. So that's the difference. We're not doing for them what God's called them to do. And Mike... um if someone was listening to this uh, and saying, well, where, where do I get started? They could be uh, anywhere in the world, but um, they're hearing the principle. They may not be working with Muslims in Asia. Right. What, what would you advise someone who, who just wanted to roll up their sleeves and get started? There are really two things we have to do to see the Great Commission fulfilled. First of all, we have to abide in Christ. Jesus made the promises of the upper room, the great, the greater works promises based upon our willingness to abide in him. Acts calls that living in the spirit. It's actually the same thing. So first of all, we have to abide in Christ. And second, we have to obey the simple great commission. If, if we start bringing in additional things to the great commission that aren't actually the pure great commission, it doesn't help it. It hinders it. And the point is, you really do, and I really do, we all have the authority of Jesus and his accompaniment. He's with us to obey the Great Commission. Sometimes we struggle with, you know, to whom should I ask permission when, in fact, Christ has already given us the authority? Abide in Christ, obey the Great Commission. That means have a simple way that we share the gospel relationally during the first visit. How do we know if people are open to the gospel? Well, we share the gospel with them. We look them in the eye and say, well, do you believe that or not? So, so we learn to share the gospel in a very simple way as our filter to, to filter for openness. And we need a few lessons to follow up with people who say, yes, I'm open. I want to hear more. And when those people come to faith, we immediately baptize them based on how the Great Commission was obeyed in Acts Baptism was never intentionally delayed in Acts. In fact, it was their profession of faith. So 
to obey the Great Commission, we go, which means we have a simple way to share the gospel. When people are open, we, have, we know how to study with them. When they, when they come to faith, we baptize them. And we affirm them that you're a 100% priest. You're a 100% priest. I'm teaching you to obey all of Christ's commands. First command is for you to be baptized, just like is in the Great Commission. And then I'll teach you how to go to your people, gather them together, share the gospel, study together. When they come to faith, baptize them. And then have this simple way to study together so that we can obey all of Christ's commands. So these, we, a very simple understanding of the Great Commission is where we have to start. You know, at that point, we're going to need to decide how are we going to follow up these new believers with a few simple lessons to prepare them to go and obey the Great Commission with their people? When, uh, when people are baptized together, how then is this group going to become a church? We guide from the outside. We, we give them a structure. The three-thirds pattern of training for trainers, T for T, has been very helpful for us. When groups are becoming churches, they use that simple pattern but for the, for the early lessons, we guide the material, and we also suggest a conclusion to make sure they're getting the foundations they'll need to become a healthy church. So every believer is trained to obey the Great Commission, but then they together are a group that we need to have a clear path then for them to become a biblical church. To say that every believer is a 100% priest isn't to say that every believer is a leader. They're functioning as priests. In other words, there's no priestly duty that they can't do. We prepare them to do the priestly functions. This results in believers who obey all the commands of Christ together. Yeah, we call those churches. But then leaders emerge from the churches. So everyone is a 100% priest as far as function goes, but then they appoint leaders from among the priests. And of course, uh, Ephesians tells us that the function of you know, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip the saints to do the works of the ministry. In other words, to equip the priests. So we, can't, we have to be careful not to confuse priestly duties with leadership. Every priest isn't a leader, and leaders emerge from among the priests to further equip and to guide the priests. So uh, that's an important understanding when we talk about 100% priests, I believe, Steve. Mike, what what does it look like for your your job to be complete? You know, simply, we want to see the Great Commission fulfilled. And the way we understand it, that would be the gospel for every person and a house church in every village, you know, where people, where every people segment would have access to the gospel and should they respond, be discipled in multiplying churches. So we're... We're excited about what God has shown us and the progress we're seeing toward that goal, even though we're far away. Now we're hopeful. It's doable, Steve. That's all we've got time for today. Visit uh, movements.net to learn more about the books that Mike Shipman has written. His first book is Any Three, Anyone, Anywhere, Anytime, Lead Muslims to Christ Now. His second book is due out in 2015. It's called Plan A, Simply Disciple the Whole World. Goodbye from Steve Addison and the Movements Podcast.